Good evening. Welcome to North Point Baptist Church. I am so glad that you are here tonight. We are continuing in our Bible study in Revelation. And tonight we are going to look at the fifth and the sixth seals. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn to Revelation chapter number six, Revelation chapter number six, uh, does everyone have an outline tonight? If you do not have an outline, if you will raise your hand, we'll make sure that you get one. For those that are listening online, you can get your outline right next to this uh, message where you clicked play. There's a little piece of paper there. If you'll click on that, it will download for you the PDF of the notes for this evening. Revelation chapter number 6, we're going to start reading in verse number 9. Revelation chapter 6, verse number 9. The Bible says that when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony for which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. We're just going to read down to verse 11 as that covers uh, the fifth seal, and then we'll look ahead uh, to the sixth seal. So we're going to start right in the top of your outline. Lots to cover this evening and uh, lots to share with you. As soon as we can make that slide advance, just a second. we go. All right. At the beginning of chapter 4, we saw John caught up to the very throne room of God when he saw the rainbow encircled throne of God and what we might call the royal court of God. So if you remember, uh, back in chapter number 4, before we uh, broke uh, for uh, Christmas break, uh, we saw in chapter number 4, John caught up in the very throne room of God and how magnificent and awestruck that he was as he saw the rainbow-encircled throne of God, and uh, we might call that the royal court of God. In chapter 5, the attention shifted to the seven-sealed book, and the right of him that sat, right hand of him that sat on the throne, and the one worthy to open it. Who is that one that is worthy to open it? The only one that is worthy to open it, of course, is Jesus Christ. And so our, our attention shifted, and now we're looking at this seven-sealed book, and the one who is worthy to open it. We discovered that in essence, the seven-sealed book was the title deed to the earth that gave the kinsman redeemer the legal right to reclaim his lost inheritance. And we talked about that idea of kinsman redeemer, and we alluded to Ruth and Boaz, as Boaz was the kinsman redeemer, the one that was able to buy it back. And uh, so here in our passage, we discovered uh, that the seven-sealed book was, in fact, a title deed to the earth to be redeemed, to be bought back, and only one person has that legal right to reclaim it, and that is the one that is worthy to open the book. As the seals are broken on that scroll, or the book, the unfolding of the consummation of the age, God's plan for the redemption of all creation is revealed and so here we go as we look at God's plan for redemption for all of creation is beginning to be unfolded and revealed to us now 
in the book of Revelation. As already has been mentioned, the book of Revelation is, for the most part, a book of judgment, beginning with the opening of the first four seals and the four horsemen. At the breaking of the fifth seal, the scene shifts from events on earth to happenings in heaven. If you remember, when uh, Revelation chapter number four occurs, and Revelation chapter, uh, it occurs in heaven, and all the things that beginning to uh, take place, and now the scene had, and then the scene shifted uh, to the things that were happening on the earth. In our first four seals, those are all events that were happening uh, on the earth. And then the fifth seal is open, and our attention is now directed back into heaven uh, as we are now back to the throne room of God. We are now back to where we started in Revelation chapter number 4. And these events that you'll see for the fifth seal are in fact those events that are happening right around the throne of God. So number one in your outline, the fifth seal. The fifth seal. Chapter number 6, verses 9 through 11, we read those just a moment ago. Uh, reveals to us what that fifth seal is. The scene is now back to the altar in the throne room of heaven where John sees the souls of men that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So here we have John revealing something to us uh, that he is seeing and it is literally the souls of men that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Who are those who have been slain? That's a great question. In order to be correct in our determination, we must go on to verse 10. So let's look at verse 10 together. The Bible says, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? It tells us that the murderers, or those that killed the souls of the men that are now in heaven, are still on the earth. They are still here. They are still a part of the tribulation that is taking place. So we're trying to figure out who these are that have been slain. And, and there are many uh, thought processes. There are many people that have uh, debated about who these men are. But I believe by process of elimination, we too can figure out who these people are that have been slain that are now at the altar and the throne room of heaven. Thus, these martyrs were only recently killed if their executioners are still alive. So by process of elimination, they cannot be Christians of the first century. Some believe that these are, in fact, Christians that were uh, killed or sometimes even martyred during the first century. Uh, but that can't be true because their, their accusers, their murderers are still alive uh, on the face of the earth. So it can't be first century Christians. Neither can they be the church because we know in Revelation chapter number 4 and verse number 1, the church has been uh, raptured out. So this cannot be those early church or those early uh, history Christians. They can't be the church because the church has already been taken out. And of course, we know that it's raptured out in Revelation 4.1. And then, of course, we are represented by the 24 elders around the throne. And we've read that and understood that in chapter 4 and verse number 10. Therefore, by process of elimination, we can only conclude these martyrs may be the souls of tribulation believers who were slain early in the tribulation. So we, we have to assume that these that are now around the throne and the altar of God, uh, under the altar, are the ones that are believers 
who were killed early on in the tribulation, and now they have transcended to heaven. Because again, the Bible has not changed. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so it's important that we understand that. This brings us to a subject that we've only briefly uh, touched on or talked about thus far, the tribulation. Shortly after the rapture of the church, the seals are broken, the first of which speaks symbolically of peace on earth. However, at the breaking of the second seal, peace is taken from the earth and people begin to kill one another. This is the beginning of the, what the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. And so uh, here we have literally the, the idea or the, uh, uh, the event that is taking place right here in front of us is that of the Great Tribulation. And so uh, now we're going to kind of look at that thought process for just a moment. Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. The Bible says, For then shall be what? Great tribulation, such as not what since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. For then, I'll read it again, shall be the great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. It will be a great tribulation. Uh, verse 29 says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be sa- sh- shaken. Verse 30, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. And he shall send his angels with great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his, the next word is elect, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now, I don't want that word elect to scare you as it scares many people, um, because that word elect is a very important doctrinal word uh, in our Bible. That word elect... uh, Uh, does not mean that God chooses who is going to be saved and who is going to remain lost. It does not mean that God only died for certain people. Uh, Some of you, and how many of you have ever heard of Calvinism, okay? So you know that word. Don't don't let that scare you either. Uh, They have a a, uh, system that they call TULIP. And what they believe is the L in Tulip means limited atonement. It means that Christ only died for certain people. But my Bible does not say that. My Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't say only a certain few can. It doesn't say only those that Jesus died for. It says that whosoever believeth. You say that now, Pastor... What does it mean that uh, uh, he gathered together his elect there in Matthew chapter number 24? Well, what God does know, because he's omniscient, he knows who is going to accept and who is going to reject him as their personal savior. So because of that, because he knows who is going to accept and who is going to reject, then it's important for us to understand that God does know But that does not mean that God is limited in who he can uh, save. It simply means that God knows who's going to accept and who's going to reject. And and now, do I know who's going to accept and who's going to reject? Absolutely not. Therefore, my job is to do just exactly as Christ commanded us to do, 
which is to go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Because I don't know who's going to accept and who's going to reject. You know, the Bible tells us that in the Lamb's book of life, that our names are written there. And, and that means that every person's name is written there. But the Bible also tells us that if those that do not believe in Christ, those who do not accept him as their personal savior, are going to be blotted out of the book of life. Which means our names are there, but because of the fact that we reject Jesus Christ, he will blot our names out. So please don't get confused that God uh, uh, simply uh, has favorites, because that is as far from the truth as possible. What God has is, is he has uh, an, an omniscient knowledge, and an all-knowing uh, uh, understanding of, human, of the human race, and he knows who is going to accept and who is going to reject Jesus Christ. The judgments are not called the tribulation, moving on now, in the book of Revelation itself. But we can clearly see that what Jesus described in Matthew 24 are these judgments. And he called them the great tribulation. You can take time and read Matthew chapter number 24 and realize that there's a parallel there between uh, the book of Revelation with the seals uh, in chapter numbers uh, 5 and 6. And uh, then the parallel of Matthew chapter 24 in reference to the great tribulation. From Matthew 24, it is evident people will, that's the word, will be saved during the tribulation. But it will be the most horrible time to be a Christian because of the incomparable persecution. So this is the question of the ages that many people have asked. Is Are people going to be saved during this seven years of tribulation. Well, according to Matthew chapter 24, um, it is evidence that people will be saved. So let's look at this question from a biblical perspective because that's really the only way to look at it. In the back of your uh, outline that you have there, uh, towards the back there's a, a little handout in there, and I've entitled it, Where the, Will There Be a Second Chance for Salvation After the rapture. And we're just going to read through this because I think it's important that we understand um, exactly what we're talking about. Some Bible interpreters believe that there will be absolutely no chance for salvation after the rapture. However, there is no place in the Bible which says this or even hints to it. There will be many people who come to Christ during the tribulation, as a matter of fact. Uh, where's the proof of that, Pastor? Well, the 144,000 Jewish witnesses that we will actually talk about next week... Uh, in Revelation chapter 7 and verse number 4, are Jewish believers. Um, if no one can come to Christ during the tribulation, then why are people being beheaded for their faith in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 4? The Bible says this, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So, if, there's, if no one is going to be saved during the tribulation, why is there this 144,000 witnesses that are coming to earth during the tribulation? Well, certainly there's going to be those that are saved during the rapture, or excuse me, during the tribulation. But Pastor, how is that possible? Well, another view is that those who hear the gospel and reject it before the rapture cannot be saved. So those that 
uh, have been under the preaching of the Word of God, and they've listened to a clear presentation of the gospel, and they said no, that the invitation was given, or the Holy Spirit of God began to work on their heart, and they rejected Christ. Uh, the Bible tells us that they will not have a second chance during the tribulation. Um, those saved during the tribulation, then, are those who have never heard the gospel before the rapture. The proof text for this view is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. The Bible says this, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of right, unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a, next word is lie, that they should believe a lie. So here we have proof, uh, uh, evidence, that those that have heard the gospel, those that, that have listened to him, listened to Christ, and rejected them because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. They didn't do it. Because of that, God shall send a strong delusion and they should believe a lie. So those that have heard that presentation, those that have been given the opportunity to hear the gospel, rejected him. When the rapture occurs and the tribulation begins, they will not receive a second chance to accept Christ as their personal Savior. So those who are hard-hearted toward the gospel before the rapture are likely to remain so. And the Antichrist will deceive many. Matthew chapter 24, the Bible says, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Shall deceive many. Now, Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, speaks of those martyred during the tribulation because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. These martyrs will complete, or excuse me, will correctly interpret what they see during the tribulation and will believe the gospel themselves and call on others to repent and believe as well. So these martyrs are going to understand what's going on. They're going to understand that, that people need to be saved and that lives need to be changed. And they're going to become a witness. They're going to become to tell people. This is in addition to the 144,000 that are on the earth. Now the Antichrist and his followers will not tolerate their evangelism and will kill them. All of these martyrs are people who were alive before the rapture, but were not believers until after the rapture during the tribulation. Therefore, there must be opportunity to come to Christ in faith after the rapture. Now, this opportunity is somewhat explained in the book of Romans, because I want you to understand that we do understand that people are going to be saved during the tribulation, but who is the multitude of those that are going to be saved. Who is the, the vast majority of those that are going to be saved? Romans 11 verse 25 tells us, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. Here it is. That blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. See, it says that blindness in part has happened to Israel. When did that happen? Well, that happened when they rejected the Messiah. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, was born as a, a baby in the manger, lived 33 and a half years, and went to the cross, and, and the Jews, or the Israelites, they rejected Christ. They said, no, Jesus is just a good man. He is not the Messiah. And because the Jews would not listen, because the Jews 
decided that, that Jesus is not who he says he is. And there was no, very little repentance uh, uh, on the Jewish side of things. Because of that, the Bible says that the Jews were literally, in Romans chapter number 11, that blindness has happened in part. That they have become blind to the gospel. They've become blind to it. So who, who is not blind to the gospel? It's the Gentiles. The Gentile nation began to rise up and they began to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And that will continue to happen, the Bible says, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. What is he talking about there? He's talking about the rapture. He's talking about the fullness of the Gentiles. It's the church age, which is what we're living in. When Jesus Christ died, was buried and rose again, uh, the law, uh, the temple and the, and the, uh, uh, the, excuse me, the veil in the temple was rent. And law no longer is, is abiding now. Grace is abiding. We live under grace. And that grace is going to last until Jesus Christ returns and takes his children home uh, at the rapture. And then grace is going to subside. It's going, grace is going to begin to lessen. And, and here is where the church age, or for the Gentile age, uh, uh, literally the gospel begins to cease for them. And it begins to go and renounce again to the Jews. And that's the reason for the 144,000. And we'll see who they are in just a moment. But they are of the Jewish nation. They are, they are Israelites out of the 12 tribes of Israel going to their own people. So blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. The only question remains is those who have never heard the gospel... This is full of speculation, and I'm not going to make a definitive declaration other than saying that if you desire to seek the Lord here on earth, he will reveal himself. Many of people have asked me, what about the people in the deepest, darkest parts of Africa and other places that have never heard the gospel? Well, that one's questionable for me. I, I'm not going to give a definitive answer, but I will tell you what Psalm 19.1 says. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. I believe with all my heart that people that are seeking God that God will reveal himself to them. Joel gives us a great indication um, and, and really uh, proclamation in verse number 32. And it shall come to pass that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant who the Lord shall call. So these are great thoughts about the question, will there be a second chance for salvation after the rapture? I, will believe, I believe that there is a chance for those that are, are Jewish and Israelite. And I believe that people will be saved. The Bible says it actually will be innumerable. And we'll talk about that next week. It's an innumerable amount of people that will be saved during the, during the tribulation. But I believe the vast majority of those are going to be um, Jews and Israelites because that is who Christ is going uh, to send the 144,000 to evangelize. All right? I hope that makes sense um, to you. All right, moving on, uh, back to our uh, regular outline here. Thus, from all this information, we may assume the souls under the altar in Revelation 6-9 are those who were saved after the rapture and were martyred during the Great Tribulation. So they were saved uh, after the uh, rapture took place, during the tribulation, and uh, then after they were saved, they were martyred. Now, they cry out to God for vindication. This cry for vengeance is, is in complete contrast to how Jesus and Stephen responded to their executioners. Remember, Jesus was, was uh, 
uh, whipped and beaten and, and, and crucified. But he didn't ask for vengeance. Stephen was stoned. But he didn't ask for vengeance. What did they say? Well, in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, the Bible says, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. He didn't say vengeance upon them. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What did Stephen say? Stephen said in Acts chapter 7 and verse 60, And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or he passed away. Again, he didn't ask for vengeance. Why? Why did they not ask for vengeance? Because at that point, grace is enacted, is activated. Excuse me, it is activated. But now, the age of grace is now inactive. It is over. And so now, uh, uh, they're begging for vengeance. And, the, and so the, the age of grace is now over. And the day of judgment has begun on the earth for all who have rejected the Lord Jesus. However, during this age of judgment upon the earth, the Lord will be long-suffering, allowing many to turn to him. So there's an, this age of judgment is now upon us. The age of grace is ending. It's over. But during this age of judgment, the Lord will be, as he has been for many, many years and centuries, long-suffering. Revelation 6.11 says, And white robes were given to every one of them. Well, the question is, is how can souls wear white robes? Because that doesn't make sense. Well, the answer may lie in the fact that souls, in the Greek word, is a word from which we get our English word psychology. It's where we get our English word psychology. That's the, the blank there. Psychology. And so how can, how can souls wear the white robes? Well, let's look at the definitive definition of the Greek word that's given. Well, it has various meanings in the New Testament, such as lives or persons. Thus we know that these were not spirits without substance. It could be those who are martyred during the tribulation are immediately translated to heaven and given their glorified bodies, but the Bible does not say so. May I remind you that when... And when we, are, uh, when we pass from this life unto death, our souls immediately go to heaven. And then Jesus Christ is going to return and he's going to rapture the church. And the Bible says that the dead in Christ shall rise first and those which are alive and remain will be caught up together to be with him in the Lord. Our bodies meet our souls in heaven. And so now when we look at this thought, we, we are seeing that there's a good possibility that when these uh, uh, Christians are martyred during the tribulation, their bodies and their souls are immediately translated into heaven, um, but there is not clear definitive evidence of that. Um, it's just based upon this passage of scripture. So what is God's answer to the request of the souls under the altar? He tells them to wait, excuse me, to rest and to wait until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. That is a difficult, difficult statement. Because that, that is telling us that more people are going to accept Christ as their Savior. More people are going to be killed. More people are going to be tormented. And the Bible tells us that, that, that God literally tells them, it's, you just have to wait. You just have to rest and wait until all of this is all over. And it's all fulfilled as written in the scriptures. 
This answer offers us a glimpse into the complicated problem of why God allows evil to go unchecked in the world. You know, we often ask the question, why did God allow 9-11 to take place? Why did God allow these earthquakes to take place? Why does God allow shootings in schools? Why does God allow all these things? And, and, and literally in this instant, it, it may give us some answer to that. And this may be a difficult answer for many, but it's biblically based. The reason is, is that so his own purpose can be fulfilled. It's so his own purpose can be fulfilled, which can only be seen. This is very important that we understand this. Which can only be seen and understood from his vantage point of eternity. There's no way that I can tell you why God does some of the things that he does. I have no idea. But this is what I know. From his vantage point, from where he is, he is accomplishing his own purpose. He is accomplishing his own will. And we may never understand that, but we have to trust it. We have to trust God is doing exactly as God desires. Now, moving on to number two, the sixth seal. Let's start reading in verse number 12 down to the end of the chapter. And I beheld, and when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven uh, departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were removed out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? Wow, what an amazing passage of scripture. Literally fear, literally trying to hide because of the great wrath that's come. And there will be no one who will be able to stand, no one who will be able to stand against him. So number two, the sixth seal. The sixth seal. At the opening of the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. During the opening of the first four seals, seals, There had been war, famine, pestilence, and general violence on the earth. But now the judgments intensify, as Jesus stated in Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 8, when he simply said this, all these are the beginning of sorrows. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Things are beginning to intensify. Things are beginning to to get worse. Because this is all just the beginning of of sorrows it is it, it's hard to imagine it's hard to even understand how all of this can take place how god as he is looking at all this finds that people have to have the judgments in which are being placed upon them because of the sin of the earth because of the enemy and this is all just the beginning of sorrows The great earthquake could be a natural earthquake of catastrophic proportions resulting in volcanic ash that would blot out the sun and make the moon appear red. The earthquake and resulting tidal waves would cause worldwide destruction. Destruction is the word. There's been a lot of talk of blood moons 
where the, where the moon is appearing red. We've seen that over the past year. And here again, um, we are seeing a red appearance of a moon. And we're not sure uh, exactly how that could take place. We're not sure exactly how that's going to happen. But according to the Bible, it was a great earthquake. A, and it could be a natural earthquake of catastrophic proportions with volcanic ash. Or, just to kind of give you a, another thought process here, what John sees might very well be nuclear warfare. The atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima shook the earth for several miles. And the sun became darkened by a pillar of smoke and ash that rose some 20,000 feet. It has been said that more several, it has been said that more several nights uh, the moon appeared to be blood red through the ash and the smoke. So it said that, that in many, many nights, several nights, that the moon appeared to be blood red because of the ash and the smoke there in Hiroshima. We might also remember that after the atomic bomb came the hydrogen bomb, and today we have thermonuclear bombs that are graded by megatons. A megaton is the explosive force of a million tons of TNT. A one megaton bomb would literally make the atomic bomb dropped in Hiroshima look like a firecracker. Firecracker is the word. We have some serious uh, uh, ammunition. We have serious things in our world that could very well allude to this very same thing that we're seeing in Revelation before the discovery of the atomic bomb, the accounts in the book of Revelation of one-fourth of the world's population um, being killed in a short time were thought almost impossible. Today, it is not only possible, but it's also a grim reality. Listen to this. It has been estimated that in the arsenals of the world is the equivalent of 15 tons of TNT. For every human being living on earth. Wow. So the judgments, the seals of catastrophic proportions are not only possible, but it is a reality. Verse 13 says, And the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Let's look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 29, and compare that. The Bible says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Remember, the only weapons John had ever seen were the Roman sword, a spear, and a bow. If what he saw was a nuclear war, how else would he be able to describe it? We are all limited by our knowledge and the, and, and the things that we've done in our lives. And that's exactly what John is limited by. But we're not certain. Uh, these are just thought processes um, in today's society, in today's world of what John could have been seeing in the book of Revelation. It is interesting to note, however, that his description that the heaven departed as a scroll... When it is rolled together in verse 14, is shockingly close to the mushroom effect of modern nuclear weapons. No one can say for certain whether this terrible judgment that takes place at the opening of the sixth seal is natural or nuclear. 
But whatever the cause, it will be one of the most awesome judgments ever to come upon the earth. These terrible happenings will strike terror, terror is the word, in the hearts of people living on the earth. And they will hide themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And that's in verse number 15. It appears heaven will be open for a moment or perhaps to the preaching of tribulation believers. The people on earth will know that these awesome judgments are a result of who? Of him that sitteth upon the throne. Why? Because they cry out to be saved from the wrath of the Lamb. This reminds us of Noah as he built the ark. And and he preached and he preached and he preached. It's, It's just like we're experiencing today. Churches on every corner, we're preaching and we're preaching and still people are rejecting And what happened? The Bible says God shut the door. He closed the door. Noah couldn't open it. And I'm sure on the outside of that that ark, as the floodwaters begin to rise, people begin to cry out for Noah. They begin to cry out to God to save them from the wrath that was to come. But everyone's going to know the result of these awesome judgments from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It should also be shocking that even in the midst of this terrible judgment, people will still not, and the word is turn, will still not turn to God. Even suffering and pain cannot cause a person to change his behavior. Even suffering and pain cannot cause a person to change his behavior. Apparently during the great judgments described in the book of Revelation, The people on earth will know the great day of his wrath is come, verse number 17. However, there will be no widespread turning to God in repentance with a plea for his mercy, but rather seeking to, and the Bible says, hide from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, verse 16. They're running and hiding because of fear, but they're not repenting. The seal proves that judgment alone does not change the human heart. For the people on earth would rather run from God in fear than to come to him in faith. Like Adam and Eve after their sin, people will try to, again, the word is hide themselves from God. But the day is coming when there will be no place to hide. There will be no place to hide. The Bible says that we are naked and open before the eyes of the Lord. This chapter ends with a very pertinent question. Who shall be able to stand? The answer is found in John chapter number 3 and verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. The sixth seal brings us to the final seal. That, when opened, will reveal what will happen at the end of the world. And at the establishment of Christ's eternal kingdom. And then I put on there, to be continued. Next week we're going to look at Revelation chapter number 7. There's going to be a slight pause in the judgments as the 144,000 and the innumerable multitude are revealed to us and explained to us before the seventh seal is opened. And when that seventh seal is opened, it will be a judgment that people will not be able to understand, people will not be able to hide from. Unfortunately, God's wrath is to come. So what should we do? We should first of all make sure that we're saved. Make sure that we know who Jesus Christ is and that he is real to us. 
and that he lives inside of us. And then the second thing to do is to make sure those that are around us know who Jesus is. Could I challenge you today to know Christ? Do not hide Christ. Share him. Share the love of God with those around you. God bless you, and I pray that you have a wonderful uh, rest of your week. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for today. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for its power. We thank you for its applicability in our lives. God, I pray that you will use us. And Lord, I pray that you will help us as we continue to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.